Hey everyone, this is Dr. Gary Wirtz along with my esteemed colleagues here on the Interventional Mindset Weekly Roundup. This is actually our first episode for the new year and Daryl is coming in hot with lightning rounds. So Daryl, I'm going to just turn it right over to you. I'm excited to hear what you are bringing to us today. All right. So first of all, Happy New Year. Um, And I I just want to say right at the onset that um, it's not really Thanksgiving, but at New Year's every year, I I like to count my blessings. And I want to say that one of the most fun things that I have ever done in my entire career, and I'm an old dude, I'm going to be 62 in three days. One of the most fun things that I've done in my entire career is this. Hang out with you guys, free association. I, you know, I get so much smarter, despite the fact that I'm, you know, drinking wine. Um, I get so much (laughs) smarter. So, all right. So let's do a lightning run. All right. Three quick topics. We're going to do the first two really fast because I want to spend some time on the last two. We good? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Aldera misses its endpoint on red eye with Repraxilab. Big deal, not a big deal. Still should be approved because it met the, um, the endpoint on Shermer test or not. Go. Priya, do it. Ooh. Ooh. So, I mean, red eye is a big deal for patients. It's a very, uh, it's a call to action type of uh, a sign. But, you know, Daryl, you're as usual, one step ahead of me. And uh, I was on a beach in Mexico. <laughs> and I didn't read all the data <laughs> that you read over the holidays. So, um, you know, what I'd be more curious to hear about is what endpoints did they meet? Look at the market right now, lots of drugs are out there that haven't necessarily met all the endpoints that we as clinicians would love to see, but still provide um, amazing value to patients. So I'm not, um, I'm still interested. All right. Tiny bit of background. Repraxilab is a RASP inhibitor. Um, So uh, full disclosure, uh, as with most companies in the dry space, I'm a consultant for this company. The RASP pathway actually starts before every other inflammatory pathway in the body. And so if you are modulating the RASP pathway, it's not a zero one. It's not a binary modulation. It's more like a rheostat. You can turn it up or you can turn it down. And Repraxilab turns it down. In their phase 2B study, they easily met the red eye endpoint. They also met um, Shermer. They also met some, uh, some endpoints on uh, patient symptoms. This is all public. None of this is, yeah. is proprietary information. On their first phase three study, they had two endpoints. One was red eye. Primary endpoint was red eye. Secondary endpoint was Shermer. Shermer they met with you know, one eyeball tied behind their, their back. Red eye they did not meet. So this is a medication, but you know, I love that Gary. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm just going to go out, I'm going to go on a limb in this lightning round and say that I am um, feeling what Gary is showing. <laughs> they, they are going to show, I believe in their other phase three trial, they're going to get a red eye 
they're going to continue to have Shermer. They're going to continue to have patient um, symptoms. Well, let's and, let's be honest, Darren. What is this about? This is about uh, the this is about Jennifer Aniston on a yes! commercial yes! saying, "I yes! have red eyes." And dry eyes. Yes. And now I don't have red eyes or dry eyes. This is not. Well, about- not you know. Listen, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sh- I'm, I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about me. I, Jennifer does nothing for me, but Courtney Cox. If we're gonna go to the Friends thing, let's get Courtney Cox on board here. I and all like the all the '90s TV stars, um, all the females are having dry eye now, and they all are having a rebirth of their career launching dry eye products. Bingo. So I so my my bid is that Repraxilab is the real deal. Repraxilab is the uh, lefitographs for the new generation. It is essentially the easy button because that inflammatory pathway that you can modulate is the inflammatory pathway that includes dry eye, but it also includes allergy. And so if they get approved, and and Wiley Chambers has really I think pretty much you know, set this pathway. If you have an increase in tremors, you get approved for dry eye. It may in fact become the easy button. You push the button and you reduce the patient's symptoms regardless of whether they are dry eye or allergy. And so it takes an enormous part of the diagnostic dilemma off the table. It may destroy the diagnostics, the point of care diagnostics uh, part of our industry. Because you don't, yeah. I mean, I will say this because you know how I feel about dry eye treatments. (laughs) (laughs) You try one, and then they either get better or not, and then you try another one, and they get better or not, and then you try another one, and they get better or not. So if there's another, if there's another one to try to see if they get better or not, I'm all for it. So you know, go ahead, go ahead, Nate. Yeah. Well, so one thing I wanted to say. uh, you know, Vuity didn't lower IOP in the presbyopia study because the patients they included didn't have high IOP. Or, you know, if it lowered it, it lowered it a millimeter. But we know pilocarpine lowers pressure. I, I suspect they just didn't enroll a lot of red eyes because they're focusing on things like the Shermers for inclusion. And that if you look at different populations that are more red at baseline, you get a bigger benefit. Um, you know, as this will be, you know, both an allergy and a dry eye draw. Uh, so, but yeah, I agree. I, I think... It's, it's kind of a, it'll be neat to have something different anyway. How's their tolerability profile, Daryl? So it's interesting. Every single patient, like 95% of patients get stinging upon applic- uh, application of the drop that lasts for 90 seconds. It's kind of like the mentholated um, teardrops. Everybody gets that mentholated sensation. And then it goes away. And they had almost no dropout, Paul, from, uh, from that. But it's, uh, for all intents and purposes, everybody gets it. So, of course, you know, what we're going to see, we're all going to be invited to these ad boards. And what we're all going to come up you with. You all will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, you can We're going to suck you in, pal. Um, yeah, yeah. And- Gary, Gary's going to tell everybody if it doesn't work. It worked. Try a different one. It's all good. Right, 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 right. <laughs> So, but what, you know, what we're all going to say is we're all going to say, we're all going to say, we just tell the patient, well, the burning means it's working. Mm-hmm. You got it in the eye. Well done. Right. Bingo. <laughs> so, all right. Number two. Glaucoma discussion. 
<laughs> no, the number two, this is, so here's, here's, here's the number two. This is the glaucoma thing. And this is, the, you know, a little more serious science. The hydrus migs was shown to be superior to every other treatment in downstream visual field loss, right? Great study, unbelievable results. Does this mean that if you have a patient who has glaucoma, that putting in a hydrous shunt is now the standard of care. Careful, this is a trap. Go. Who do you want? Who do you want to? I want. I want Paul and Nathan. Look, look, and we. I thought it was going to be this guy, Gary. I just thought it was going to be you, me, and Prio. You know, three dumbass cataract surgeons. We have two brilliant glaucoma people here now, messing everything up. Well, All right, you Paul, think, you know? <laughs> no, look, look, at the end of the day, the, the horizon trial, the five-year data is really incredible. Their, their retention rate for the study was incredible. Um, and yeah, they did show less need for incisional surgery compared to cataract surgery alone. And of course, 50% decrease in visual field progression compared to the same type of patients who were on medication. So I think it's showing us what a number of other, truly what another, another or other products are, are showing or will be showing too, is that by decreasing compliance issues, you have a better chance of halting the progression because you're not worried about fluctuating IOP, worrying about missed appointments or missed, missed drops as well. So I think this is going to be something we're going to see across the board in a number of different, a number of different um, products and technologies. But to give Horizon, uh, to give Hydra some props, it was the best study done so far to show that, yes, compliance issues are correlated to progression. Just like the, look at SLT, man, the LICE study. The LICE study showed the same IOP reduction with latanoprost versus SLT first line. But you had less need for incisional surgery, less progression, and they've shown decrease in field progression as well, despite the same IOP. So we're seeing a number of different modalities. You decrease compliance issues, you have a better chance of halting progression. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing because we, we sort of have some sense that all of these different trabecular procedures are beneficial. And there probably aren't a, a ton of major radical differences between them. And then it just comes to the nitty gritty, you know, what lasts the longest, you know, da, da, da. Uh, and I, I applaud, you know, Hydrus, or now I guess it's um, Alcon's product uh, for, for doing that, that research. And, you know, I think a lot of the other companies kind of have a right to say, well, we might do that too, but then you get to say back to them, please design awesome studies. And the, the cool thing is they're doing it. Um, you're seeing prospective study with the dual blade, um, you know, Glaucos has had a lot. They usually have stopped at two-year um, data because they're pretty cautious about how they spend their money. Um, but uh, Site Science has a whole platform of uh, randomized prospective multi-center trials. So I like that it's dragging the field forward. And I think, you know, it's, it's fine to applaud the people who got there first. I, I All right, my cataract surgeons, you know, Bria, Gary, you know, is it standard of care? Uh, you know what? I tend to favor being an interventionalist, um, nod to the podcast and uh, website title. But um, I, having watched many patients, you know, choose to do themselves a disservice by either getting confused or being unable to do things and, and think about what I'm asking them most of the time. It's not for typically forever, right? With cataract surgery. I can only imagine, you know, chronically taking care of glaucoma patients and 
as a clinician, I mean, I, I see, I dabble in glaucoma. I'm not a glaucoma specialist by any means, even though I, I technically did a fellowship in it. <laughs> I don't like to tell anybody that, um, that, that stated fact, but it really is, you know, patient. There's so many other factors. And to me, I love seeing that the science mirrors what our own intuition as clinicians would tell us. Patients have a hard time doing all of the things we ask them to do. And you know what, I think that this should be, this evidence should be, you know, kind of propelled forward and taken to payers. You know, we, we should get better reimbursement for these devices. They should prioritize these um, devices. Think about patients that get to get off of drops. I mean, there has to be some cost savings to the system overall. So I'm a big fan of it. And I'm really impressed that, um, you know, what was a small company now, you know, getting uh, rolled up into a larger one, the fact that they would have that foresight years ago to care about that data, I think is really, really um, meaningful. Go Gary. I will just say this, and I've made no, um, no bones about how much of a fan I am of Hydrus. It is the only MIGS I do. And the reason I do it is because I, I am a set it and forget it. Give me one easy button, or even if it's a hard button, if I can figure it out, I want to use it as, as frequently as possible because I'll get better at it and it will become easy. And Hydrus was not easy for me to learn necessarily uh, the first couple times I did it, but over time I've gotten better at it. And I just think about if it were my eye or my family member's eye, what would I want? And just like if I had a coronary artery that was occluded, you know, I would want the most robust, long, long-standing um, patency device that I could have. I wouldn't want a balloon angioplasty, you know, which is kind of what I think about is, you know, like visco um, dilation of the canal. Um, you know, I wouldn't want, you know, anything else. I would want a, a stent put in my coronary artery. And for that same reason, I want to preserve the natural anatomy and bridge as many collecting channels as I can. And it, to me, is my favorite thing I do in ophthalmology. And I wish that I could do it on everyone, even if they don't have glaucoma. That's how much I love it. That's kind of a joke, but I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> it is right, so such man. a oh, great love device. I love it. Gary, don't look at my angle. Yeah, so so <laughs> I'm calling you all out on, on evading the essential question. It is not standard of care. It is not standard of care because that is a legal, that is a legal term. So this is, that's, and thank you very much. So this, this brings up the issue of the difference between standard of care and best practices. And I believe that we're, we're, we're probably not quite there yet, but I believe that we're on the cusp of saying that if not hydrus, then perhaps MIGS are best practices when you have a patient who has glaucoma where some intervention is necessary and that intervention is something that the patient must participate in doing one drop, two drop, whatever. And I think that what the folks at Hydrus and, you know, now Alcon carrying through have done is showed us, has shown us that we potentially have something which really is a new best practice in that combination of glaucoma coma and cataract. Now, uh, we talked a little bit before we came online here. Um, I'm 62. I am 13 years older than the next youngest of you. I'm essentially 20 years older than most of you. And I have children who have children your children's age. 
I grew up in this in the era where the decision was: Do you do a trabeculectomy and a cataract, or do you separate them? That was the best practices discussion back when I was in my 30s and early 40s. It's thrilling to be at this stage where we have, you know, arguably four or five different things that could potentially be part of that best practices. All right, now I want to go to the one that I'm really excited about because this is sort of kind of ophthalmology, sort of kind of medicine, but sort of kind of people. Did you take a vacation over the holiday season? How long was your vacation? And why? Go. All right, I'll start because I, 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 I ended the last one. Um, yes, I took a vacation. Our practice always shuts down the week between Christmas and New Year. So the entire practice is shut down. We, we like to have our, our techs and our nurses and everyone take a break and decompress and be with their family. And we've, we've just done that the past couple of years. And I think it's a nice way to, to allow everyone to have that break. Um, I also took time, uh, clearly I took a few, a few days on the front end and a few days in the back end of that. So it almost has worked out to two weeks. Um, I think as we get busier and, and as we get more, um, mature in our careers, we do recognize that time is our most valuable resource. And it's not the time that you spend in clinic or the time that you spend with in surgery. It's the time you spend with your friends and family and I was thinking about this, like, what is a quality life? And it's some, it's some sort of equation. You know, like equations. So it's something like the quality and quantity of your, of your friends, the relationships you have with your family, the quality of the experience um, over time minus the stress, the financial stresses and work-related stresses and health-related stresses. It's something like that. And so I love spending time talking to my family and friends, having great experiences. And I honestly, the rest of my life, I'm just trying to maximize that. Who's next? Uh, let's go in order of age. Priya. Oh, youngest first? Youngest first. Well, you know, Gary already jumped here. I know. Um, well, yes, I, I did take a vacation. We went to Cabo, um, which is... Hey kind of um, a place we've been going to. I, I, growing up, I went to um, year after year after year. And it's, um, I always believe in taking a vacation. <laughs> and um, like Gary, I live for experiences in life. And um, as many times a day that I'm like thinking about how, oh my gosh, like I've got so many things going on the things that like motivate me and get me excited are, Oh, okay. in in this many weeks, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Um, three reflections from vacation. One, everybody's traveling again. It's just, it's happening. Um, and two, I missed being on an airplane frequently because it's amazing how much work I get on an airplane. And Gary Wartz knows this because he gets like hammer emails from yes, me. Yes, that is <laughs> yes, Of like, exactly. wait, I thought you were on vacation. No, I'm on the way to the vacation. Right, right. Um, and yeah, and number three, the thing I love about vacation is, um, it's funny to say, but like getting in the routine of a vacation to me is enjoyable because 
there's never an agenda, at least if you come on vacation with me, you know, there might be one, like a, a, t- a golf tea time planned, you know, ooh, we can't cancel, we'll get charged. But other than that, everything is changeable, everything's flexible. And I love the ritual of, um, you know, being in an infinity pool with an Aperol spritz in my hand at 3.30 to watch the sun go down over, over the, the mountains. And um, I love the, one of the things I loved about the pandemic actually was the time to just freely think with no, like no agenda. And that's like vacation for me. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I, I realized on this uh, last vacation, which by the way, I love that Thanksgiving and Christmas are <laughs> always so close together because it's, it feels like an extenuated vacation. But to me, it really was um, time to remember to, to do, you know, not only live vacation to vacation, but try to make your week vacation to vacation. And um, like those are your vacation days by setting your intention to, you know, do something or enjoy something. I ran a half marathon on a treadmill on my vacation on Christmas day. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm a, thank you. That was, I, I'm not a runner. It's the first time I ever did that. I will say yeah, watching episodes of Yellowstone is also very relaxing. <laughs> Such a good show. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. Yellowstone is dark. It, oh, you know, season my... three is dark. Oh, it's don't I know. I'm only on two point. I'm like a quarter way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Season but that, one. You're on one. Okay. I love it. Bunch so of, um, I, it it's, it's great. All right, Nate, what do you got? So, um, I, I went, uh, right before the pandemic, uh, I was helicopter skiing in British Columbia and, uh, literally as I was coming back through, I think Seattle, um, the first cases of COVID were arriving, um, you know, in that area. So, um, I was able to finally get back and go skiing again in British Columbia and, uh, it was negative 20 degrees. Yeah. Um, I looked like an astronaut with the amount of equipment I had on trying to keep myself warm. But uh, that's a beautiful ritual as well. You're, you're, um, you can't touch a device if you wanted to because your hands and the device would both freeze. So you're just out there enjoying nature with friends and family. And uh, it's, it's very peaceful. I did a lot of it when I was young and I'm sort of rediscovering it now and trying to get a little bit more in before my joints tell me it's time to stop. By the um, way, that's, that's how I discovered Arcteryx. Um, yeah. I hate being cold. And my wife and my children gave me Arcteryx gear for my 40th birthday uh, because we were a skiing family and I don't buy anything but Arcteryx anymore for, for that reason. I will check that out. Um, but yeah, it's just silliness and fun. And uh, yeah, so I enjoyed it and uh, didn't think about glaucoma for at least a few days there. So that was well worth the time. <laughs> Good for you. All right, Paul. All right, man. Uh, well, I did a little staycation in Chicago. So we went to a hotel, took about five days off and not a lot of time because my partner went to, to, to uh, Germany where his, his wife is from Germany. So they went to visit their, his in-laws. So took a few days off. But I tell you, I want to share one story that uh, made this trip very, very um, impactful for me. The, we checked into our hotel, the W, actually the Witt Hotel, it's a double tree hotel in Chicago. And we, my wife uh, had the cart and had my laptop bag and her purse. And she's, I was inside checking in. She's pushing the cart into the door. And all of a sudden, some guy mugged her, took her purse and my laptop bag and ran off. Now, okay. I'll end the story. So this is scary. It was, it was frightening. The kids were screaming. The hotel, well, long story short, the Weather Channel was, was, was there filming because there was a storm coming through Chicago that night. This is Saturday night. They filmed, they, they filmed the guy doing it. 
the the security guard and some random bystanders ran after the guy. And then I ran after the guy. Long story short, innocent bystanders were able to tackle the guy. Police came. We got our stuff back. No one was hurt. And, oh and so what it taught me was, and my kids were crying. They were kind of scared. It was really, it was hard, right, for everybody. Like young kids too, right? And they were like, oh my God, should we go home? So I'm like, look, think about Yes, for every bad person there's out there, to my kids, look at how many people came out to help us. Yeah. So remember, yeah. Yeah. you can't get rid of the bad people out there. You can't. But look at how many people were there to support us. Yeah. And first of all, the lesson I learned is never, I'm not strong enough or in shape to actually run after anybody. That's one thing I learned, <laughs> number one. Number two is just like, you know, be smart when you like, you know, like when you got a bunch of shit outside at the car. But the third thing was just to, to recognize every day, every moment is so precious, guys. And, and I was listening to all you guys say what you did. And, you know, I get caught up. I, I, I think my, my mom told me, taught me something. Oops, sorry. I just lost my feed. My mom taught me something really that to me will always stick by me. And she said, Paul, if you learn to balance your life, you will, you will be happy and you will find a way and you will make sure you're happy. And I think it's easy for me. There I am. It's easy for me to kind of get focused on one part, my work, 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 or this, you know, I got to do a presentation. I got to be up all night for that. And you got to step back and realize what are we doing this for? And, and I know it's obvious to all of us, but it's just nice to have reminders once in a while. Like, look, man, this is, this is a pretty precious time we have every moment. And with our kids, as Gary said, with your family. And when I had the pan during the pandemic, I had about a month to be at home. I've never had a month since I was an adult to be at home and, and to have time to just be and to be with the kids and find out who they are. So I just want to kind of just raise that up because it was a very impactful few days, but uh, it was turned out really well. So I, I listen, I, I just want to say again, as, as the old dude, I'm just incredibly proud of, of the four of you. I'm, I'm, I'm so incredibly proud of the fact that you've gotten to the place where, that you've just described so much sooner than most other people do. I would love to tell you that I personally was the impetus for the White family getting there. I married the, the most wonderful human being in the planet. My friends call Beth my better 95%. And at that, she's probably undervalued. Um, but <laughs> she's, she's the one who really charted this course. When uh, we moved to Cleveland 30 years ago, it's crazy. We moved to Cleveland 30 years ago. And after a couple of years, we had three children. And in the winter, you know, Cleveland's winters, they're cold, they're gray, they're, you know, they're snowy. <clears throat> and, you know, by the middle of the afternoon on Saturdays, we hated each other. So she comes home one day and she says, listen, you know, if we're going to stay here, we're going to have to do something on Saturdays. She looks at me and says, you're not helping, pal. So I'm going to make the decision. We're a skiing family. As of today, we are a skiing family. And the children are enrolled in what's called Moglemites. There's this little like pimple on the landscape uh, just south of me. And the children took skiing lessons there. And thankfully, my brother-in-law was an EP fellow in Utah when my children were at this age. So my kids were three, five, and seven. And we went to Salt Lake, stayed with my brother and sister-in-law, and the children learned how to ski in Utah. How good is that? Awesome. But from that point on, the focus of my life was what we did as a family. And I'm so very proud of all four of you. And please, please, please take this, not, please don't think that this is condescending because I really am proud of you. You got to where I should have been so much earlier than I did. It's so vitally important for people who do what we do, people who put 
put ourselves on the line for other people all day, every day, when we go to work, to realize that it's okay to step back and engage with the people who are really the most important people in our lives. I have two boys who live, one boy lives five miles from me, the other boy lives a half a mile from me, and all five of my grandchildren live in either five miles or a half a mile from me. That's awesome. And we're super, super blessed. My daughter lives in South Carolina. I live in Cleveland. And my daughter and my wife are super close. My daughter has an hour commute every day. She talks to Beth on the way to work. She talks to Beth on the way home. And she lives in Bluffton, South Carolina. And we love to go there. But you know something? It's a big imposition to have your parents, especially if you're the, the, the in-law, show up and hang at your house for 5, 10, 15 days. So we bought a tiny little condo down there. And we went there for the first time this past week. And we were able to spend almost 10 days with Megan, my daughter, and Ryan, my, my, my son-in-law. And the message, I think, is exactly what the four of you just said. We don't live to work. We work so that we can live how we wish to live. Nate, once upon a time, I would have been hitting you up saying, dude, let's go. I want to do the whole Alaska thing. Um, I am a broken down, damaged you know, ex-football player with a titanium hip and I can't do that stuff anymore. But I would have, brother. I would have. Right. I would, but I, I will get just as much pleasure taking my grandchildren on that pimple on the side of a, you know, a cornfield in Ohio. The point that I wanted to make with this is that we don't work to live. We live to work. At this time of year, at any time of year, um, I was just so very fortunate to have 10 days with the love of my life and my two dogs. I mean, I hate awesome. driving, man. I, you know, driving to work, I have an 11 mile commute, it's torture. <laughs> I drove 13 miles to South Carolina, 13 hours to South Carolina with two dogs. It was awesome. that's funny so anybody who's watching this anybody who's younger who is watching this anybody who's who's charting their course who's watching us you've got folks who are mid-career and kind of entering the you know the the last three innings of the game and we all figured it out and the earlier you figure it out the better life is we've got great jobs we have really really great jobs Everything we talked about in the beginning of this, this broadcast, it helps people. We got, we got killer great jobs. But at the end of the day, it's just our job. The thing that's important is who you're going home to. You know, you're, Intervene earlier in your life. In your, yes. Yep. Oh, I love it. I love it, Paul. Intervene yep. in your life. Yep. There you right. go. That's right. Hey, well, you know what? With, with the start of a new year, I think those are all awesome topics to – you know, carry some of those wonderful pensive thoughts and um, don't forget them throughout the year. So with that, uh, thanks for joining the weekly roundup with Interventional Mindset. Gary Wirtz, Nathan Radcliffe, Paul Singh, Daryl White, Priya Gupta signing off. 
Cheers. Cheers. Have a good year. Happy New Year. Cheers. Happy New Year, Happy New year guys.